Welcome to Drinks at the Doll, episode 56, The Colors of Lost Girl, season 4. You're listening to Drinks at the Doll, a podcast waystation for Lost Girl fans. I'm your host, Stephanie. And I'm Annie. And I'm Chris. And we have a guest with us today, a, a, a frequent re-guest. Can you re-guest? I do. Sure. Is that a thing? Is that like is that like regifting? Well, the, I thought I think that's more if we had passed you off onto another podcast, okay. right? <laughs> but our guest today is Melanie Killingsworth, who is a writer and filmmaker who's based out of Portland. She writes about film and television over at melsbells.wordpress.com and at tvkeela.com. And thank you so much for being here, Melanie. Thank you for continuing to have me. <laughs> Not just have me, ask me. To come on and talk about things that I may or may not know anything about. Well, this, to be, a, you know, to be completely honest, I guess, we are doing this one as sort of a, 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 what do you call it, continuation of our season four review. This was maybe supposed to be in there if we had enough time, but obviously we didn't because, <laughs> because our season four <laughs> review was three episodes. So this is part four, really. So this is part four, kind of technically. And we are going to talk about colors in season four and how colors were used both in sort of wardrobes and, and sets, as well as colors that were put in during post-production to make certain scenes look more yellow or more washed out or more blue or what have you. So we're talking about that, which is something that I'm always interested in, though, frankly, know very little about. Well, um, so I'm def I'm not a colorist by any stretch of the imagination. Um, I do a lot of editing and then I pass things off to people who do colors. I do very, very rudimentary coloring, but I definitely understand, like, thematically how it works. And if you're planning, when you, when you go to shoot something and you storyboard something, a lot of times you talk about, hey, what color do you want it to be? Or when you go scout a location, you're like, oh, hey, you know, what sort of lights do we need for this? Or what sort of thing are we trying to convey in the scene? That's what color. So I understand that, but definitely don't. I'm not trying to portray myself as some great color expert, especially, especially in post. But you know more than we do. <laughs> right. <laughs> all right. Well, then I am the expert of this panel. <laughs> there we go. That's, that's all we need, really. <laughs> now, I do know about bleach bypassing a little bit. Whoa. Ooh, that's some heavy vocabulary there, Chris. <laughs> right, we're talking film now. That is like the limit of my, the, the extent of my knowledge. <laughs> I can identify it when I see it is more sort of what it is. I mean, I, I vaguely know what it is because we talked about it a little bit in film school when I was briefly in film school. So let's talk a little bit about where color can come from in in television and film. So in we'll talk about TV specifically. So TV is very much more of a writer's medium and less of a director's medium. So if you have a film the director who gets signed is going to really be storyboarding from the beginning, really be talking about the colors and everything that he or she wants to do and really developing that from the beginning to the end. With television, it's quite a bit different, especially because a lot of shows, not all shows, but a lot of shows have a multiple rotating directors who will come through, and the director is sometimes only there for a week or two. Um, and so in television, a lot of the colors get kind of set at the beginning by the production team and the writers and the head cinematographer and kind of, you know, set the palette for the show, some of the things they want to do with different sets, etc., and then that kind of carries through. So, for instance, if you look at the doll and the clubhouse and 
Dyson's uh, loft or different things, the the cop shop, the things that are going to be used a lot, they kind of have an assigned color palette. They set the lights, they set everything, and that's how it stays. So if you're a director and you come in, you have to have a really, really, really fantastic reason to be like, I think that the clubhouse really needs to be green lit. You know, so so some of that stuff is set ahead of time in television. Some of it is going to kind of be dependent on the sorts of locations you can get, especially in a show that's more low budget, and that is what I do have more experience with, like Lost Girl. Hey, this is the house that we can get. This is the, you know, park that we can get. This is whatever. And so that kind of determines things. Um, obviously, you're going to be able to toy with that a bit in post, but you you still have to work with what you've got. So you say, hey, we've got this house. It's got this great red room. So you kind of go from there. How you're going to light it and how you're going to do whatever is kind of dependent on what you can get. And then you've got props and wardrobe. So, you know, the wardrobe is going to be heavily dependent on two things, the sets and the characters. There are certain colors that don't do quite as well. There are certain patterns you want to stay away from. And then there's, oh, well, if the set is red, we probably shouldn't dress the character in all red because they're going to disappear. You know, so there's a lot of kind of negotiating with that. And then you've got props, and props are, and we'll talk about this somewhat, props can be a lot of fun, can kind of give you a little, like, color pop, and can kind of break things up visually for you. Um, set dressing, which is not technically props, it's not wardrobe, but set dressing is a huge component of a lot of these things, and it's a component that people tend to kind of overlook, but if it weren't there or weren't good, you would notice. Things would be visually boring, things would be all one color, things like that. So there's a lot of planning and pre-production that goes into all of this. And then the cinematographer says everything gets lit, they shoot it, they edit it, they send it to the colorist. And then the colorist um, is going to sit there and talk with the producer or director. Hey, you know, what do you want this to convey? Do you want this to be darker? Do you want this to be lighter? Do you want this to have a different tinge? Here's this red fire kind of burning in the corner. Do you want me to make that pop a little more, or do you want it to be not noticeable really until the end? That sort of thing. So there's a lot of, depending on how it was shot, whether it's lit properly, depending on how much time and money you have, depending on the colorist that you have, that that kind of depends on how good and or colorful it's going to turn out looking. And then, you know, some of it's just a matter of taste. Some shows want to look darker, some shows want to be really green and happy. Some shows, like if you've seen uh, Pushing Daisies, that's a show that was really, really, really honed into how it was using color. And in in regards to like the, the color that comes in for post-production, if, from my experience, it seems like those are often used to really separate out storylines a lot of the time. Yes. I mean, that has to be done beforehand. Like, mm-hmm. they have to be decided beforehand. And we're definitely going to talk about that a little bit later, but uh, an episode in season four that did that really well is Waves. So you've got these two really distinct storylines, and they've got two really distinct color palettes. But they had that happens in post, but it had to be established up front because that determines how it's going to be lit. They're going to come to the cinematographer and be like, hey, this is going to be really brown and really washed out, or really sharp contrast or whatever in post. Now light it so that that can happen. Right, because we see in that one where the the flashback scenes with Bo and Rainer are very sort of like desaturated and kind of grayish, and then all the stuff with like Kenzie and Dyson and Lauren is really bright and colorful, and it's yep. a really nice contrast between the two storylines. And uh, to give like another an example of like a episode that really used a lot of sort of 
color saturation or desaturation in post, and I think used it pretty well, was the Out of Gas episode of Firefly, which has like three storylines that are kind of happening in different time periods. You have really, really deep flashbacks that show how all the crew came on board. And then you have kind of like recent flashbacks and then you have the present. And so like the present where, where Mal is all wounded and sterling around on the, on the ship is really blue. And then the most recent flashbacks are kind of like the normal color palette of the show which was kind of washed out and a little bit grayish but there's more warmth of color in those and then the really really deep flashbacks that happened years ago are really really yellow so it helps really helps the view the viewer realize okay these are like three different storylines happening simultaneously and they're interwoven that is a fantastic example thank you (laughs) there's just a there's just i wanted to give a rundown of things that are really constant in the season no matter what episode they're in una men's are very black red and orange and I wanted to say about orange, because I think of them more as orange, the coloring in those scenes. And orange is generally gives like a sensation of heat. And we have that line about how, you know, did you add like 20 humidifiers or something like that? So so this place is very like warm. So again, kind of this hellish background. And it's often orange is often associated, especially a red orange is often really associated with like domination and aggression. So that's appropriate for the Unimens. So that's constant every time we see them. Then you've got the yellow, especially in La Fea Poc, Sleeping Beauty School, Lovers Apart. All the episodes which delve into the past and memory and things like that. And then you've got these desaturated brown tones for flashbacks. And that's kind of like, in, especially into the train. And so those things stay really constant throughout and are really thematic throughout the episodes, but are not necessarily set specific. Um, a lot of times yellow or sepia, or black and white tends to be associated with memory. I think that happens for two reasons. The first reason is that when you remember things, they're a little bit hazy, they're not quite as crisp or colorful necessarily as the real world around you, but you've also got this real... We're we're still living fairly close to a time where cinema was in black and white and sepia, so going back to something automatically makes you think, oh... You know, black and white sepia movies 40, 60 years ago, that sort of thing. And it's definitely like a very instantaneous response. Oh, that's a memory. Oh, that's a flashback or whatever. The other thing that interests me is that yellow, it's kind of a neo-noir default. A lot of modern neo-noirs use a very yellow palette, like if you've seen Chinatown or something like that. And so using yellow tends to kind of convey a little bit more You've got the Southern California idea. Veronica Mars use a lot of yellow, a lot of neo-noir. Or you've also got that little bit of sinister. Like, if you color something really yellow, um, it can tend to come across as a little bit sinister or a little bit like something's kind of happening. It's a little bit... something's a little off. If, if you know, you, you kind of find a new place. And I think the, the clubhouse gets away with that by using it by doing so much candlelit yellow as opposed to, like, a harsh-colored yellow, like something that Veronica Mars used. It's a lot of candle yellow, so that's warm, and, you know, it's, it's not an exact rule. You can kind of toy with that a little bit, but it's definitely something I think that Lost Girl did extensively this season. Yeah, I'd say the clubhouse situation is, it's it's more golden than yellow. Yeah. There you go. Yeah, I agree. I think it's very, it tends to be very golden, and I hadn't really thought about it until you mentioned it, Mel, but yeah, when I was re-watching some scenes in season four, I was like, yeah, the clubhouse usually is a really yellow, golden yellow color. But let's dive into maybe talking about some of the individual episodes of season four. We've got, I think, 
in in the first episode I thought was just gorgeous and the color the like really colorful set that they used for the for Engelrim's party and the dance off I thought was beautiful. So something that a lot of short run shows are doing right now and we were just talking about Orphan Black Orphan Black did the exact same thing. A lot of short run seasons are maybe taking a little bit extra of their budget and they're pouring it into the first episode of the season and they're really specifically using that budget to make some really fantastic lighting and coloring decisions. Like, if you watch Sarah running through the streets in Orphan Black, like, the lighting is just phenomenal. And if you watch that dance scene in the first season of Lost, or the first episode of Lost Girl Season 4, it is absolutely gorgeous. It's, it's interesting because you've got the idea, you can see all of the stage lights. They set it so you can see the stage lights, and you can see the giant spotlight. You can kind of see where everything's coming from. And so that allows them, because the audience has, oh, I see where these lights are, that allows them to spotlight things. So, for instance, when Kenzie, Dyson, and Hale are dancing, they've got this spotlight on them. And you can see where it's coming from, so it's not contrived, because, oh, there it is. And then it allows them to cast these beautiful shadows. And then they've got these blue and pink lights there are all these stage lights, and they're hung all the way around the party, and that allows them to put a lot of color, put color into the walls, put color onto the people, put color onto Vex's, like, fantastic sparkly outfit, just kind of, like, point all this color. But it's not coming from nowhere. The audience sees these lights, and it's just really, really, really pretty. And so why do you think that they chose those particular bright colors? Because to me, it, it kind of seems like the party before kind of a dark season because <laughs> I don't know that they really get quite that bright and colorful for a while in the season. They don't get quite that bright and beautiful. However, they do use the blue pink in a couple of B plots later on in the season. And I think it's also just a color palette that they tend to not use a lot. They use some blues, they use something, but they wanted to really set it apart. And so to use something that light and that garish and, and I think you also will end up seeing, even in this episode, but especially in the next couple episodes, they start foreshadowing the whole Unamens black and red motif. You'll notice a lot of red props and a lot of kind of like dark black and reds popping up before we necessarily meet the Unamens. So when it comes to 402 and we get to Sleeping Beauty School, we get this is where like we get the first glimpses of the train and the train set is really really yellow like really 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 yellow it's i think it's like super saturated yellow it's very and it'll stay that way it's very yellow with a little bit of like brown and black it's it's almost sepia but it's it's just it's a little more yellow than that brown and and train has to deal with memory like this is Either Bo both Bo's memories being compromised and her friends are trying to remember her, and then later it's her actually remembering what did happen on the train. So everything that happens on the train deals with memory. Crystal and Lauren's scenes, which contrast with this, are blue and pink. So you've got this kind of blue wash at the diner that, that they're working at, and she's got a pink shirt, and there's a pink neon sign with blue surrounding it, and it's a lot of blue and pink. So now I can say, oh, there was a point to those ugly shirts. It wasn't just ugly for the hell of it. I like her pink you shirts. You guys pick on it. You do? After all the things that you pick on, Stephanie. I like Lauren's pink shirt. It does not match her hair, but if she had her blonde hair, I think it would look really well, good. Well, with the red hair, it just doesn't look good. But yes, I see what you mean. Because that, that pops. So you've got that, you've got the blue and pink neon sign. 
You've got the blue and pink in the shirts. You've got those kind of like teal benches going on. It's all, and, and this happens later when she comes in and she sees what's his face, Mike or something. So anyway, I just thought that was kind of interesting that they did, did still carry that, that through. But the episode was overall kind of blah. And there's quite a bit of yellow going on. It's so, 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 so yellow. It really is. Everything's yellow. Everything, everywhere Cleo is is yellow. The train is yellow. Yeah, even the hair's still on. But we got this really nice pink, bright scene with, with the woman with no mouth. And I really love the wall behind her. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So she was kind of a nice interruption from all of that yellow. Probably an instance of them finding something that looked like that and saying, oh, hey, let's shoot here. They do like their golden tones on... Lost Girl. They really, really do. And they also like their candles, so it kind of goes together. Like, I don't know anybody who has just a hundred random candles around their house lit at all times. Well, you know, they probably don't have a lot of electricity at the the, uh, clubhouse, so that was, you know. Well, and I and I think at the clubhouse that really helps make that space feel homey, even though it's kind of dilapidated and falling apart. That's really sort of the home center of the show, and so I think that's why they tend to use really like warm yellow lighting. Right, the golden tones are always sort of cozy. It's cozy lighting, and Orbo needs to be ready for sex at all times. That too. That too. That's that's what I'm going with. I'm just saying it's the safe place for sex. So it's kind of it's kind of visually not exactly stimulating. And then we go to 403 Lovers Apart, and it's really not visually. It's it's dark and dim and muddled. The flashbacks, hilariously enough, the historical flashbacks are actually slightly better looking than a lot of the other scenes at the family home. They just kind of tend to be muddled and they all kind of run together. They're very yellow. Bo's having a hard time with her memory. We get it. Yeah, the flashbacks in this episode are kind of grayish. They're washed out. But the rest of the the, the episode, like we have some green when Dyson and Cleo in the forest, are going to the... Yeah. But it's not, like, super saturated bright green the way that, say, it is in Of All the Gin Joints. It seems like a lot of the outside scenes in 403, though, are in sort of a denser wooded area, right? It just seems like there's less natural lighting in that episode, or at least, you know, it's it's shadowier, is what I'm trying to say. At least in my mind, it seems like it was largely shadowier. It is. It's very shadowy. And the house episodes. is very shadowy. Well, and for the outside scenes, when you're shooting them, you just have to work with partially with nature and with the lighting that you have. That's what so, I'm trying to say, though, yeah. is that it seems like because they shot it in a shadowier area, it's not as bright and so less less vibrantly green than in some of the other episodes, is what I'm trying to get at. You also get a lot of greens later in the episode when it's at nighttime and they're out burying or unburying the bodies. But yeah, I was flipping, I was like skimming through Lovers Apart, and it was, nothing was really jumping out until I got to Crystal's robe and towel. And it's like, okay, there's pink and blue popping really brightly. 404, Turn to Stone. This episode has several sets we haven't seen before, and it what it does is it takes all of the sets and it gives them kind of a slightly more neutral palette, and they all get accent colors. So, I mean, other than... Massimo's shirts, which are absurd. You kind of, you walk in, there's kind of a neutral brownish color palette, but he's like mixing potions. And you've got, um, Lauren, this is, this is where Lauren is. She's in the dungeon. She's got her folder and that kind of pops. And she's got this shirt that's got some like blue accents on it. You've got 
two different uh, house flares. You've got kind of the blue and the red house fire flares. So you've got this kind of neutral scene that you've got this fire, and then it's it's really got some fun accents to it. And then um, you've got uh, this is the episode I believe where you have actually Massimo's like fire pit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you've got you've just got a lot of really fun color accents in slightly more neutral settings as opposed to really strongly colored in post settings. But I, I thought that the the Lauren Crystal stuff was like really nice and dingy looking. It's kind of a greenish tone. But you've still got you've got her pants that pop, uh-huh. and then Lauren skirt, has yeah. blue on her shirt, and then Lauren holds a folder that are like this. That's the same color as Crystal's pants. Not pants. Crystal never wears pants. Mel. <laughs> Pantsless oh, is that a, it's skirt? a skirt? I'm sorry, I'm sorry. <laughs> but when you mention the dinginess, even that goes along with like the makeup and everything. You notice how both the characters are really their makeup is done, so they're really disheveled and sweaty, and that goes along with their situation, with the sets, with the lighting to create that kind of feel. Every department is involved in the look, so you have to kind of go in with a really coherent idea of the look that you're creating. Because every department has Agreed. two you know, and hair and makeup is can kind of is kind of the last ones, you know. But you can't just turn to props necessarily and be like, "Oh, we need a red folder." Especially on a smaller budget show, they just don't have a warehouse full of colored folders. You kind of plan that stuff with wardrobe and etc. Or sometimes you just get lucky. That also does happen. Um, so then we've got four oh five. Let the dark times roll. So speaking of accents, so four oh four has a lot of scenes that are kind of neutral with accents. Four oh five. Let the dark times roll has a lot of very specifically red accents. Kenzie's pants are the first thing we see. We, we go to the Morgan's office. She's got this giant plush chair in the background that matches Kenzie's pants. We go to Dyson's, and he's got this punching bag with this red that's the exact same color. You go to the doll, you've got Trix candles. You go to the wedding, you've got the sushi table with a lot of different red accents. And even uh, when there's the dance-off, None of the clothes that characters are wearing are specifically red, but Kenzie has a red wig on. Um, so there's a lot of red popping in this scene. And I'm not sure if it's meant to be this fun splash of color, or if we're supposed to be subliminally reminded that the Unamens are lurking, or or what. But it's it was kind of fun to me to just see how this episode... Again, it was a little more neutral. You had a little more actually black and gray in some of the scenes, like when in the Morgan's office, and you've got this giant black and white poster of herself behind her. But you've got you've got red. You've got all this like red just kind of popping out at you. Yeah, the the color in in that episode is really kind of I don't know very cool most of the time. They have some warmer mm-hmm. ones, but even in the scenes where like Lauren and Bo reuniting, they're really cool colors in, in the scene, and it's not warm colors, probably because it doesn't end up all that well for them. And so the next episode, All of the Gin Joints, is the total opposite. They've got just, it almost called back to In Memoriam, it's just colors galore, but the colors are all in the set, in the lighting, in the props, and then the wardrobe is all black and white. It's a very black and white reversal, so you've got the the good guy wearing black, or is he the bad guy? Dun dun dun. And you've got this this pure virginal woman wearing white, or is she bad, really? Dun dun dun. You know, so you've kind of got this black and white motif going on. The two guys that are fighting over her, one's wearing black, and he is black, and one's wearing white. You know, all these different black and whites, but it's the colors. Like when we very first see Yanka, uh, Yanka, 
Ianka, when we first see her singing, there's like red and purple and blue and these colors projected onto the walls and back of her. And she's standing there in white and really just her hair being kind of red. So it's, it's a lot of color going on in your sets, but it's projected on the background and the, the individuals aren't necessarily lit in that, sh- in that sheen. You just see them and their wardrobe and they're presented a little more neutrally. You've got Ianka, she's flamboyant, all of the colors are flamboyant, this episode is really, really pretty. Then you've got the B-plot, which is the Lauren and Evany in Lauren's apartment, and if you check this, there's very, very little color done in post here. It's just presented as a quote-unquote normal set. So something you'd walk into your house on any day, and that's kind of what your house would look like, assuming that you don't have weird luminescent bulbs or whatever. But if you think about it, this is how Lauren's apartment is always presented. Lauren's apartment is almost always presented. You know, she's got this green wall, and she's got some pretty pictures that have lights on them, and she did have that one green um, lit cabinet, but it was lit, like, w- again, within the scene. Like, oh, that's something that's a stylistic choice that, it, that Lauren and or Nadia made. And I think that there's a really intentional choice of having Lauren have a normal quote-unquote, not really colored, not really saturated home setting, because she is the human. And despite the fact that she has, you know, some weird things in her house, she's got her research tools and these pills of the glands of a giant Venezuelan warthog, or whatever she offered Bo um, back in season two, her house stands out from the fey-dominated spaces. This is a human space, and it's not necessarily so absurd and over the top with the lighting and the coloring and post as the clubhouse or as Dyson's place or as the doll, etc. It's a, it's just, it's a different space and it sets itself apart in the way that it's lit, which is really, really cool. And I also point out that Lauren is in a gray shirt because we're going to talk about that later. (laughs) (laughs) We are going to talk about that later, but before we talk about that, we have 407 Lafayette Poke. So now we've seen all, we've seen kind of some red accents. This, this again, this has kind of the two color schemes. It's very, very, very red and black. So Dyson's slash the Unaman storyline is very red and black. Red is fire. Red is evil. Red is, you know, all these things that are bad and they speak in Latin and there's, you know, this black darkness to the Unamans. And then you've got kind of Kenzie's bedroom, which is neutral and dim and it's also partly to hide the fact that this is Bo's bedroom set. But then when you go to the flashbacks, or the fugue state, or whatever the heck Bo has fallen into, when she goes into Dyson's past, super, super yellow. Very much in the past, very much this memory, very much this idea of, you know, everything is is old and ancient and decrepit and yellowing manuscripts and whatever. So you do have a very distinct difference between the two storylines, Dyson's storyline and then Bo as Dyson's storyline. And I think it, it distinguishes that Bo is not, these are not flashbacks that we're seeing here. It's it's Bo in Dyson's memory, because we see usually from like the flashbacks in Lovers Apart, as well as the flashbacks in Waves, those are like grayish, desaturated tones that they use in the flashbacks. But this is not a flashback, it's it's memory. And, you know, keeping with the yellow associated with memory that they've used earlier in the season as well. Well, and you also you also have the really quick cuts when Bo dives into Dyson's memory, and that's the really sepia 
you know, almost black and white tone with the red accents that are cut together really quickly to, mm. you know, signify the crime. You know, the red could even signify the, the, the red accent hence could even signify how the Unamans are directly responsible for the crime. So, and behind it. So, um, I found those very, very interesting. And it's one of those things that you love to freeze frame and look at each frame to look at how the color is used. Yeah, and the, I mean, the Unamens are the context in which he is remembering this, and we're very clearly shown that he and Bo are kind of remembering this slash living this at the same time. Uh, so then, in Groundhog Fay, I liked this episode a lot. And you thought you wouldn't. <laughs> I thought I would hate it, to be honest. I was kind of dreading this episode, so... Uh, whatever. Uh, so you've got this kind of golden, because a lot of it happens in the club. It's not a bottle episode, per se, but a lot of it happens in the clubhouse, which always kind of has that yellow-golden tinge. But then you get the candy factory. And, man, is that a lot of fun. There's just, there's colors everywhere. If you read the signs in the background, they've got some messages. They talk about the color of the candy. They've got really fun wardrobe choices. Everything's crazy bright. Everything is essentially gumdrop colored purple and whatever and it, it does still have that little bit of a yellowish pall to it but um it's really fun so that that's pretty much all i have to say about that is that was probably i worked on a show one time i don't generally do a lot of site decoration but i worked on a reality show and i my the other lead pa and i ended up dressing a lot of sets and i remember we we dressed this set we had, like, a couple of hours, and we were, like, an hour through, and the producer came in and was like, okay, this is fine, but you're being too subdued. She's like, I want you to make it look like Easter threw up in here. And that is exactly what that gumdrop factory reminds me of. Like, I know it's Christmas, but it, it looks like Easter threw up. There's just candy colors everywhere and gumdrops and these weird, you know, that's that's kind of what it reminds me of. Yeah, I love the candy factory with with all of the the colors. Again, just because it's like such a contrast from the sets that we usually get on Lost Girl, so it was great to have all of these like really bright colors everywhere. And then we move on to Destiny's Child, which had like very distinct sets, you know, because we have the 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 graveyard where where Bo and the crows are at, and then we have the the Arcala where she goes underneath. And I I thought they did a uh, an interesting job sort of really differentiating between the two of those realms, I guess, that Bo is on. Above ground is very green, very brown. It's very, well, you know, foresty because we're in a forest. And then a below ground is, it's interesting because a lot of times below ground, they kind of default to that sort of hell color almost. So you've got either, either a, a, a brown, completely grim and barren desert-like landscape, or you've got this red, hellish landscape. And instead, they kind of took it like this blue color. So they already have the brown that's kind of above, because they were in a forest, and they decided not to take it towards the hell direction, per se. But uh, Which is interesting, because Leviathan, there's a lot of things about where the Leviathan comes from, etc. And there are interpretations of the Leviathan that have it being an almost whale-like creature, and Anyway, it's kind of bluish instead of taking it towards this this red hellish color, which I thought was a really interesting choice, and I really think it works. Um, and somebody else had a note on this episode about Bo's blue jacket, which really does pop against the forest and which kind of adds to, when she goes to the underground, that blue scheme. And somebody mentioned it, that this jacket is really what made them think of 
that they were kind of making a play with the blue colors on the whole idea of Bo's eyes, brown and blue, and kind of bringing that theme out in this episode. But I don't know who it was. I think it might have been me. I do remember having that thought at some point, so I am going to go ahead and claim it, unless (laughs) somebody else does. (laughs) Well, and again, where it's all the different departments going for the same theme, even Bo's hair has that blue accent in this episode, which she normally doesn't have. Yeah, it's purple, actually. Oh, purple? Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, I wasn't sure what that was all about, actually. She has it, I think, earlier in the season, not necessarily the kind of person who goes through all that work. She does. She has it in the episode where she and Kenzie are dancing, which is to the Spice Girls. I I just don't feel like Bo would necessarily see anytime anytime Bo shows up with her hair extra fancy or, like, a streak of a different color in there, I always assume that Kenzie did it. Yeah, yeah. I just said that same thought just as you said it. That's fair. One other note on this one, so talking about A-plots and B-plots in the C-ish plot, we have Trick, and he appears in his regal clothes, and he's very brightly lit. A lot of the flashbacks and things we've gotten from Trick before in previous seasons have been much darker. He's He's worn the same clothes, but it's been much darker. And his red robe really pops. And it's interesting to me, I don't know how intentional it was, because they're shooting outside, so it was bound to happen. And I don't think they've shot him in a flashback in daylight before, but he shows up in red, and this is where we first get the hint of exactly how much Trick influenced with his blood, and exactly how much he really went through to influence history um, when he's talking to Tamsin, and he's kind of sitting there wearing that robe. So I thought that was really interesting. And you've got a lot of other themes of blood that are going to be popping up, specifically in relation to Trick, and Trick's book, and tricks changing history etc so and tricks little layer it's like got a lot of red lighting in it in this episode mm-hmm. and it's got that set of red couch and then his red blood that appears in the book when tamsin and kenzie are looking at it and then moving on to ways we kind of talked about that a little bit before was there anything else you wanted to add I know, yeah, we did talk about it before, how they differentiate the storylines. Blah, blah, blah. This episode is really beautiful. This episode is really, really beautiful. It's one of my favorites of the season in general. And I think it's interesting and very intentional that the office is lit. Uh, so Kenzie's wearing her red dress and she really pops against it. Dyson's wearing those green pants and he pops against it. And so they stand out more than the rest of the drones. So that's wardrobe. But it's also very intentionally lit to look, A, sterile. Like, you've got this really sterile office setting. And B, very watery. Like, it's got those kind of washed-out blues, and everything's a little bit opaque, and everything's a little bit... It's just very subtly hints at where we're going with this whole thing, which is mermaids! So, I really, really, really like that. So, End of the Line uh, takes it, it takes us to the Revenant camp, which is a little bit washed out, but again, you've got the red accents. So, Marie Laveau, Acacia's jacket, lots of blood... There's a lot of, like, red popping accents. Like, it's this kind of, like, hopeless space where you've got these revenants and you've got these people who don't necessarily have a lot of hope. And, you know, there may or may not be real-life parallels with that sort of thing. But, yeah, it's it's a little bit washed out, but you've still got those real colorful accents that kind of draw your attention. Um, and there are other red highlights um, in the doll and in Kenzie's dress when she's trying to deal with her family slash Hale. The, the lit candles... I know at the doll have are are specifically red, so that's that's all I got. And then for for origin, we had 
those lovely outdoor scenes at, at Hale's funeral with all of the green and the bright lighting. And then we have the indoor scenes that are just like super dark. It felt like in that episode, super dark, super dim. And again, I'm not positive how much of this is lighting and how much of them in post is going, Hey, let's bring this down a little bit. I guess it's fitting for an episode where we're mourning a character, you know, you kind of outside and people are mourning, you know, Things are still bright at funerals, and you still have to put on a happy face, and you still whatever, but it really is super, super, super dark when everyone is inside. Um, the other thing, though, that happens in this episode is we've got some plays on the white, black, gray. Yes, and we talked about this when we discussed the episode with the, the scenes with Lauren and the Morrigan, where... You know, this is the episode where Lauren defazed the Morrigan. And we have the Morrigans, going back to what you mentioned in, in Let the Dark Times Roll, I feel like for, for the Morrigan sets, they are often very monochromatic. There's a lot of black and white, but then there'll be pops of red. So we see like a red chair and there's a red journal on her nightstand, but it's mostly a very like black and white backdrop. And whoever she's melted most recently. Yeah. <laughs> Don't forget those red accents. And then we have Lauren, who is on this this bed that has gray bedding, like the sheets are gray, the comforter is gray, and Lauren is wearing gray lingerie. Uh, on my blog post about this, some people, including myself, actually got into a very long and detailed discussion about how what Lauren does is operating in a very, very gray area of morality and how that's to me, super interesting. There are there are arguments to be made for why she did it. There are arguments to be made about why she did a terrible thing. This is really gray moral quandary that that's kind of going on. And I think that the scene itself, how it uses white and blacks, and specifically a lot of grays, just really drives that home. And if you screen cap almost anything in that whole scene, what you'll get is you'll get a lot of so you've got the walls that kind of break up the windows. You've got the black and gray playing there. And then you've got characters in white and or black or gray at the beginning. And it's just all always opposed to each other, always standing in contrast to each other and always kind of broken up. When Lauren's standing in a white shirt, she's against the gray background. And when the Morrigan is in, you know, when she walks in, she's kind of against this bright window-like background. It's just, it's really pretty is what I'm trying to say. And Describing these things is actually not often very helpful, so you should just go back and watch it. The Morgan is, like, wearing a mostly black dress. She has a little bit of, like, bronze, it looks like, on the front here. Then later we have Lauren, who, after she gets dressed, is wearing that, that white shirt. And it's kind of this... I don't know that there's, like, trying to excuse Lauren's behavior by putting her in a white shirt, which usually is, you know, a symbol of, like, good and purity and, and all this stuff, versus the Morgan who's in this black dress. But it does, I don't know, I guess when I saw it, I kind of thought they were, they're trying to say, okay, M Lauren just did this morally gray theme, but she's still kind of one of the good guys of our story. I don't know, I, I feel like it was maybe a signal to the audience that maybe Lauren's not going down this, like, dark and twisty path. It's... It's maybe just sort of this one-time desperate action, but that's just maybe me editorializing a bit. Well, how about this? What if the white shirt is supposed to sort of echo a lab coat? Because she does get very sciency in that moment. <laughs> <laughs> true facts. True facts. See, I... You brought me on and I'm talking about all this symbolism and color and blah, blah, blah. And I could 
completely did not get that reading from it. I actually just took it as this very classic post-coital scene where, you know, guy or girl just kind of stands up and is putting on, like, a classic white button-up. Um, and it could be theirs, it could be the person's that they just slept with, it could be whoever. I just, I thought it was really classic, and it really made her pop against the black that she's standing against. Because, again, everything in this scene equals gray. She's wearing a white shirt, she's against a white black background, she just did something super morally difficult. You know, that sort of thing. So, I mean, to each their own, but I disagree. I just think it looks good. But yeah, and again, as I pointed out, when we were talking about, of all the gin joints... Lauren is wearing a gray shirt in that episode, too. And that's when this plan is, like, hatched. So, again, emphasizing sort of the, 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 the moral grayness of Lauren's actions in this subplot, I think. So then we have Dark Horse, the last episode. And this is so dark. Sometimes you can barely tell what's going on. Especially when they're outside. When they're outside, it's always night. Everything is dark. Everything is dim. Everything is hidden. Everything is murky and unclear. We get it. We don't want it to be murky and unclear anymore. Just, what the... We, we just we show. just want it... Well, it's anyway. dark almost to the point of detriment, because you almost literally couldn't see the characters in some shots. And people are taking screen grabs Accurate. and they're having to lighten them up, because you can't see anything. But we, again, we get it, show. But for Dark Horse, I did like, again, how the we were talking about the black and red with the Unamens. And I kind of saw that a little bit with Papaya Horse slash Pirapus. With the, you know, the set where Kenzie comes in and talks to Bo, and you've got that red slash gold banner in the background, those little pops. But accents like that, and the whole tapestry behind all of the characters when they're fighting in the final battle. I like those production accents that, you know, help make those things pop to go, yes, that really is symbolism of the bad guy or whatnot. I want to talk about Bo and the blue because it was strange to me because it felt like she wore almost the same color blue in three episodes because she wore a blue corset shirt and let the dark times roll. She wore this blue and black dress in Groundhog Fay, and then she wore a blue leather jacket in Destiny's Child. It's like a slightly tealish blue. Yeah, the one in Destiny's Child is a little brighter than the other blues, but mm -hmm. they're very similar. And so, yeah, and Chris mentioned when we were preparing for this episode, maybe that might have to do with, with bringing out sort of Bo's, you know, eyes both brown and blue thing. And I think definitely perhaps it's a call to Bo's maybe like succubus nature kind of coming out more in this season. Cause we, I think we do see her use it more just kind of arbitrarily this season as she, than she did previous seasons. And I have to point out in one of the promo photos, I think it was the first promo photo they released for the season. It was Anna Silka's bow, and she was wearing a blue leather jacket, and they had really, really noticeable blue eyeliner on her. Do you, do you guys remember that? And everybody was kind of like, what's with the blue eyeliner? And I think that's part of this thing, too. Wasn't a fan of the eyeliner, but yeah, I could see why. I think it's actually the same jacket she wears in Destiny's Child that she's wearing in those promo photos. Right. I could be wrong. No, but I think you're right. But I'm, I'm just right. saying there was the eyeliner to go along with it, and mm -hmm. everybody was kind of like, whoa. <laughs> But I think, again, maybe going along with the blue eye thing. And her just fey nature, which is right. what the blue eyes are associated with, because she disassociates from humans so much this season, and you've got the fey nature, which is kind of exemplified by the blue eyes. Right. So it all, it all does kind of tie together. And there's also, 
I delve a little bit into psychology of color stuff sometimes. Sometimes. I'm not weird about it. But <laughs> <laughs> the fact that you say that makes me not believe you. <laughs> Fair enough. But in, in regards to blue, blue is often like a color that's really associated with stability and confidence, which is why you see a lot of politicians who wear blue ties. The power ties are either red or they're blue, right? And that's just sort of the opposite of where Bo was at this season, you know, in regards to stability in particular. Understatement of the year. Yeah. Well, we already kind of touched on Trick. He wears bright red a couple times. Which is unusual for him, mm-hmm. I'd like to point out. Yes. Like, he wears the brown vest and the white shirt and the very... He doesn't stand out. He is often very earth tones. And like in the in the earlier mm-hmm. seasons, his vests were often green. And green is often like associated with like stability. And green is associated also, also with safety sometimes. And I kind of wonder if they maybe moved him or moving him away from the green color palette more as like his relationship with Bo kind of strains. See, I took it as that as we're getting more information about how he did use it. I'm not saying you're wrong. It could be both. But I think I, it's, yeah, I agree with you. I think he's there. The red is also an allusion to his blood king past. Yeah, we're learning more and more about how he uses blood and people are really, like Tamsin specifically and Kenzie somewhat ancillary to that, are really prying as to how his blood's directly impacted them and he's turning into more and more of this past evil mastermind who used his blood a lot more than he wanted us to think that he was because he's a very unreliable narrator and the more he does that the more we get the red tones in his wardrobe and and like we pointed out earlier and in the lighting of his of his set there was a lot of red lighting Mm -hmm. used this season yep speaking of red we've got kenzie uh she's got those red pants which are pretty phenomenal she wears them a couple of times uh she's got that red power suit and waves she's got red boots a couple of times 406 and i want to say 40 or 410 uh that was waves 49 anyway she wears them a couple of times the red boots um and some other bright choices that really make her pop against the background because a lot of these a lot of these choices aren't just the characters wearing a certain color it's the characters wearing a certain color against a background which creates a sharp contrast of their wardrobe color which really makes you notice the color like, not just a complementary color, but really contrasty. So she's against a black and white background in the Morgan space, and she's got, pow, red pants. That sort of thing. So, which is, I mean, granted, Kenzie's wardrobe always stands out no matter what. But it definitely happens. And her hair changes styles and colors several times as well. And she's a, she's a character who's very in flux. Um, and so I think that the hairstyle, the hair color, that sort of thing kind of symbolizes how tenuous her relationship and her kind of mental state is this season. Relationship with Bo, specifically. Well, and you see her color palette change, obviously, after Hale is killed, to, you know, what she's wearing at his funeral, to, you know, wearing um, his sweater in Dark Horse, because I was like, why is she wearing such a baggy thing? And you guys reminded me she's wearing one of his sweaters. But then, at the end, she's very noticeably back in those red pants, you know, which could possibly symbolize mm-hmm. her realizing her mission and that she has a part to play, you know, as she goes and sacrifices herself. But I, I, I love how even when she's in the funeral, she's got her own quote-unquote Kenzie style, where she's wearing that black kind of, you know, stringy outfit, but it's got silver hints, and I love that. They actually did a lot of black with silver accents this season, because I think... 
there are at least a couple examples of Bo. Bo especially was in black with silver accents, usually on her shoulders somewhere. Dyson. Dyson, we finally get him kind of out of the cop shop and out of his mopey state. So he's out of both of those things. And he gets some fun. He's got those green. Pi- well, first of all, they fit him very nice. I think of them as more as khakis. But the color but, yeah. really pops. It was so weird to see him in khakis. I was like, oh my gosh. I but you look really it. good, Chris really Holden Reed. In yep. a pair of khakis. The color is what really, like, that was just a perfect green, and he's kind of, he's in a lighter mood, he's teasing Laura in that episode, he's gotten out of the, um, he's kind of stepped out of his role as specifically, you know, the fake cop. He's a lot more freelance, if you will, this season, and so he gets to wear, I mean, granted, he has plenty of scenes where he's not wearing a shirt at all, and so nobody's complaining. Well, I I like the greens costume-wise in Lafayette Epoque. Because I like the muted green of Dyson slash Bo's costuming, because it is so different for Dyson. And of mm-hmm. Flora's costume. And again, those things that just pop, you know, and Kenzie being an all-white, just to signify what a different kind of world this is, you know, memory-wise, to put... White and feathers. All these characters and all these very different costumes than what they normally wear. But talking about getting Dyson out of colors that he normally wears, I, I do think it's it's maybe significant to point out the fact that, you know, we usually associate black wardrobe with kind of evil characters, black equaling bad, etc. But on Lost Girl, like, our main heroes have always had a primary wardrobe of black. Black, black leather. Because, yeah, because Dyson... You know, Dyson, Kenzie, and Bo, all three of them, like, that's their default color, is to be dressed in all black, pretty much. Ever since the first X-Men movie, and maybe before that, I don't know. I can't think of an example before that, but a a team full of superheroes in black leather. I like that. Black leather can be very attractive. That uh, comparison. Well, speaking of leather, we've got Tamsin and her phenomenal leather jackets, of which Melanie would like all of. Thank you very much. Um, but she's got some color. She's got some colored jackets. Um, and she gets, she also, like Dyson, gets a little bit of, of color going on. She's got uh, the red jacket, the blue jacket. I think she's actually in black in Groundhog Fight. No, she's got a, a red jacket on with black sleeves. That's what it is. Yep. Yeah. So she, she also gets to be very color pop y in modern day. Her, again, speaking of flashbacks and things that are desaturated, etc., she's got some very desaturated tones in her flashbacks. But I, I like, you know, kind of where they took her. And, and she's she's worn some blues and different things last season. But yeah, I like her leather jackets. I really like the... I mean, granted, you've got, oh, it's a noir detective badass. Let's give her leather jackets. I may or may not have done this in my... F- film don't worry about it (laughs) It, it's shorthand but it totally works is what i'm saying well i love how they have you know it's not just a black leather jacket that it's colored leather or that what lauren wears in destiny's child it's a two-tone jacket with the gray and the more kind of mocha colored and i love that look where it's not just one tone and again i don't always know what that symbolizes for character but God, the leather department. We've always, always loved them on Lost Girl, and they really make some good choices and make their actors look really good, but also, character-wise and theme-wise, they always make it fit. But we didn't talk about Hale and, and his wardrobe. I, I 
Hale always gets like really fun, I feel like colors popped into his wardrobe. Like I loved the outfit that he got in Sleeping Beauty School when he went over to express his love to Kenzie with the purple shirt and the purple tie and the purple suspenders with the white jacket. And I loved his like dark blue velvety jacket that he had on in End of the Line. He always gets like some fun wardrobe color pops in there sometimes. And the purple is really nice. Casey Collins in general just manages to pull it off. Like I feel like I feel like not every actor would you believe they would actually wear something like that in real life, but he he brings a lot of suave to his to his character, so. Well, thank you again to Melanie for being our guest today. Thank you, Drinks at the Doll, for having me again, and thank you, wonderful listeners, for listening to me again. I mean, presumably that you've made it to this point. Uh, thank you. But I've, I've found the, the feedback and the welcome and all the fascinating discussions that I've had out of these really, really great. So I, I very much appreciate that. You can check out more of Mel's thoughts about various film and television by visiting her blog, melsbells.wordpress.com. That's M-E-H-L-S-B-E-L-L-S, melsbells.wordpress.com. And I just wanted to remind people of a couple of things. First of all, I'm in the middle of switching where our RSS feed is hosted. I'm switching it from FeedBurner to WordPress. So if you experience any type of glitch in receiving your downloads, if you are subscribed to the podcast in some kind of podcatcher, I would recommend you go ahead and resubscribe to the podcast. You can do that at drinksatthedoll.com slash subscribe. There's all the links that you need to subscribe to us in iTunes and in other podcatchers as well. The other thing I wanted to remind people is that at least for the next couple of months, probably until at least the beginning of August, we are switching to a bi-weekly release schedule. I do, however, have some Annie outtakes from this episode. It took me a while to edit this because there were such gems that Annie said that I had to edit out and keep so that I could share them with you next week. So look forward to that next Thursday. So it'll just be a short little outtakes reel for you. And the next long episode will not post until two weeks from now. The content that we covered in this episode was very visual, so there's lots of pretty pictures for you to look at to see what we're talking about in regards to how colors were used in Lost Girl Season 4. Go check those out over at drinksatthedoll.com slash 56. Tell us your feedback about how color was used in Lost Girl Season 4. You can do that by sending us an email to feedback at drinksatthedoll.com or by sending us a voice message by clicking on the Send Voicemail tab on the right-hand side of the webpage. We're also, we have an upcoming episode about hanging plot threads in Lost Girl, these unanswered questions that you would love to see answered, and we'd love for you to send us those as well. What are the dangling plot threads that you're really looking forward to the show answering in Season 5 or sometime in the future? I'm so glad you could join us for Drinks at the Doll. My name is Stephanie. Thank you so much for listening. Cheers. Cheers.